Peace. 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 It's, um, it's a strange thing. Everyone likes peace. Everyone's for it. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what it is. Uh, John Lennon, I mean, you know, that guy loved peace. Um, and I think for him, for John Lennon, it was, uh, it was the absence of war. You know, he has that song, Happy Christmas, War is Over, right? Um, or ima- and imagine, he talks about, like, imagine everyone sort of getting along and no one fighting anymore. And that's what peace is. We know that peace is more than that. It's more than just the absence of violence, the absence of conflict. Um, peace is also something that's internal, something that's um, a part of our hearts. And, and, and intuitively, when we think about being at peace, right? I mean, if you're like me, and you uh, think back to the time of your life when you were most at peace, truly at peace, it was definitely before you had kids. Um, <laughs> So, rewind. Uh, you got to cast back. Um, for me, it was, um, it was, well, really the symbol, the ultimate idea of peace uh, for me is um, the, the diamondback mongoose. Where is it? The diamondback mongoose. Do we have it up here? Oh, there it is. The diamondback mongoose. Look at that bike. I mean, seriously, look at that thing. It's, it's good for street. You know, you can just ride, you can ride down the street, but you can even maybe take some trails on this bad boy. It's probably circa 1986, um, probably the height of, of peace for me. Like if I think back to the time, it wasn't just for boys though. What, bikes weren't just a boy thing in the 80s. There's also um, the ladies' bikes. It's a low res photo, I apologize. Google image search, what are you going to do? Um, but you know, it's got the, like the little the dangly deals. And I, could, I wanted to find one that had like the little um, plastic things they put on the spokes that go back and forth. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, shh, shh, shh those things. Um, yeah, I, I think, do I have one more in there? Yes. Peace. I mean, this is like the 1980s. If you were a kid in the 80s, it's encapsulated. You and your buddies getting on your bikes and you're, and you're just rolling and anything's possible. Okay? At the end of today, you very well might find a sunken pirate treasure, uh, and you're gonna be able to pay off your parents' debts and stay in the goondocks forever! Right? That's peace. For me, it was, uh, going to Fezziwigs, uh, with my friends. There's literally a place called Fezziwigs in the 80s, not too far from our house. In fact, I think the proprietor, uh, was, um, lived a, a couple streets over from us. And Fezziwigs was, it may actually have been a bar, I don't know, but in my mind it was an arcade. Um, and that's what I was excited about. And um, it was, it's off of Via Fabricante, if memory serves. And uh, our home is actually not too far from that off of Alicia. And so I have this memory, and it's probably not true, but I think it's true, of me on my Diamondback. Um, it wasn't a mongoose, I think mine was red. Um, but it was a, uh, me on my Diamondback uh, following Jeff and Scott and maybe Steve, uh, some of those guys. And we were um, riding on Alicia over the train tracks and, and starting to coast down off Via Fabricante, headed to Fezziwigs um, to go play Final Fight in um, the arcade. And that moment right there, if I'm thinking about it, that to me is peace. Because, uh, you know, totally tranquil um, in my person, anything's possible, um, freedom, there's hope, there, it, it's, it's like ultimate well-being in my mind. And, and it's something that we all 
desperately seek, right? Well-being, that sense that all is right, all is well, all is at peace. And yet, um, it's hard to know uh, exactly where that comes from, right? How do we do that? How do we, how do we achieve peace? I have a, um, a couple of, of quotes from uh, some famous folks, and one not-so-famous person, uh, about, about peace. This first one's from Henry Fielding. He was an English uh, novelist. And, and he says, peace comes when he says, I am content. That is a blessing greater than riches. And he to whom that is given need ask no more. And so you can see for Fielding, what peace is, is it comes from not needing anything. You know, having your needs met and being content with whatever you have right? And so it's kind of a, an internal disposition. If, if I've just got my needs met and I'm content and I'm okay with that, then I'll be at peace. Uh, this next one is from uh, Rainer Maria Rilke, uh, a German romantic poet. He was a student of Nietzsche. And so he uh, had a, has a little bit different take, but he says, have patience with everything that remains unsolved in your heart. Live in the question." So for Rilke, um, the world is a confusing place. Um, we don't understand everything that's going on. It's, it's, we're not sure exactly what's right, what's true. But really, the secret to having peace is to let those tensions in our, life, in our lives remain unresolved and be okay with that and be all right. And so again, it's an internal disposition. It's something inside that if we can you know, organize our heart just right, we'll finally be at peace. Uh, this is from uh, Emerson, the transcendentalist. Um, Emerson says, nothing external to you has any power over you. Um, again, you can see he's looking inward. Peace is something that we have to figure out in here. And, and we as- assume that what goes on outside of us, the, the activities and the events and circumstances of our lives, these things have control. He's like, no, that's not the case. In fact, peace really comes from a kind of self-mastery. Uh, in a lot of ways, Emerson um, is an inheritor of the Stoic tradition of Greek and Roman philosophy, where self-mastery and self-control determines whether or not you can be a person of peace. I think I have uh, one more. And this is the one I actually like. Oh, no, oh, we, we got to hear from Rob. This guy's a certified life coach. So if you're looking, I know you're in the market for a life coach. And when you're going, make sure this person's done their certification classes, because otherwise you might get less than excellent life coach advice. These people are taking over the role of pastors, by the way, uh, because they're, and I, it's a whole other story. Anyway, Rob, my man here, says, once you embrace your value, talents, and strengths, it neutralizes when others think less of you. Uh, Rob's kind of updating in some ways Emerson's approach for a 20th, 21st century kind of vibe where what really is important to peace is looking inside yourself, finding what you love, value, and honor, and really beginning to enjoy that. In fact, if, if Emerson's teaching self-mastery, uh, Rob, certified life coach, is teaching self-love. If you learn to love yourself, then you will finally have peace in your life. This last one um, is, I, I think, personally the best, but also maybe uh, the most obscure. And this comes from St. Augustine, um, probably the greatest Christian theologian. He says, The peace of the celestial city is the perfectly ordered and harmonious enjoyment of God and of one another in God. I just want to make one note. Do you notice that St. Augustine is the only one of the masters of peace who thinks that peace has something to do with other people and the way you live your life. 
Notice that. Peace isn't just something internal, but it's something that's in flesh. In fact, peace doesn't take place in a person. Notice what he says. It takes place in a city, in a community. It's, a, it's something that's enfleshed in a life of a, of a body of people where if they're living this way, then we can say there's peace. And that is a good question. What, what if that's right? What if peace isn't actually what you experience after about 90 minutes of hot yoga? What if, in fact, peace is instead something that it, it's, it characterizes your life it's, it's your life in flesh in a certain way. Uh, what if peace is actually characterized by how a person lives rather than how he feels? And as we learn um, about the peace bike today, I think from the scriptures, we're going to see that that is in fact the case. Or at least that's the, how the Bible characterizes peace. And I think at the end of today, we're going to have an opportunity to think about where we are in life and see the missing places of peace for us and maybe move forward. So if you uh, look on the back of your note sheets, we're going to start out in Psalm 128. And the psalmist says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears Yahweh God. Yahweh bless you from Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you even see your children's children. Peace, shalom, be upon Israel. That, that last line, peace be on Israel, it's like a summation of the whole psalm. It, it's, like, it's like what you say when there's a chicken in every pot. When you know that peace is in Israel, everyone's going to look like this. It's going to be a communal thing. The whole country of Israel is going to look this way. It's going to look just like this, where you, you, you walk in and, and, and during the day you're working hard with your hands. And most of the people of Israel, of course, were, were farmers or ranchers uh, in the way that we think about things. And, and they work hard with their hands. And the, the fruit of that, it, it goes right to the table. And the, the image of the psalm is around a table with a family. Right? And, and on the table is the fruit of the labor. If you're a farmer, uh, literally your crops are right there. You know, farm fresh, organic, real good for you. It's right there on, on the table in front of you. And not only that, but around the table is, is, is you know, your wife. Right? And it's interesting. Uh, it, it uses sort of the, the language of, of fruitfulness. Like, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit kind of man-centric, let's be honest. But it doesn't have to be, and we can talk about that in a second. But uh, the, the wife is not just someone who, who's bearing children, but it's also she's the heart of the house and the heart of the house. And uh, she's like this vine that's growing up. And you might almost think of, uh, you know, <laughs> Jack and the Beanstalk, right? Where, like, the, this huge vine is, is, is growing up right in the middle of the home. And this kind of maybe indicates the closeness of, of a relationship that's, that's in the home, where there's unity and there's peace uh, in the home. There's, there, the family is, is, is close and united. And, and the work that you do, I mean, in the ancient world, yeah, there's farming and, and there's ranching. Women also were workers in the ancient world. If you think back to Proverbs, um, the, 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 the virtuous woman in Proverbs, she's always coming up with things on the side to help out, you know, around, uh, around the house and, and, and to sell things and to, to make uh, money. And so there's, there's different ways that people can contribute uh, to the finances of the home. But that is kind of what the vision of peace looks like, right? It's, there's, there's, there's enough, Right? There's enough. There's shelter over, over, over the home, and, and it's dependable. And, and there's family. There's children everywhere. 
Around the table, it uses the like young olive trees, and that you almost get that sense um, that I'm starting to see where you know olive trees grow quickly, um, and then they become very strong, very quickly, and and that's how kids are, right? You know, they start out real small, and very quickly, they're five, and then very quickly they're graduating high school, and very quickly they're getting married, and you're like, whoa, what what happened? But that right there, that image, is peace. When that's happening in every home. There's peace in Israel. And if you're thinking about the, the, the bike, the, the BMX, mon- or the, the Diamondback Mongoose, this is sort of the frame. This is the frame of, of what peace is in Scripture. It's having a place where there's work, um, there's shelter, there's uh, food, and there's family. Those four things. In fact, Diamondback, if, I think the reason it's called a Diamondback is if you remember that picture, there, the frame of a Diamondback bike is a diamond. There's like, you know, four little struts there. And that's what gives the bike its, its strength, right? And, and in, in a way, this psalm is kind of telling us that, that peace is just like that. You've you got to have family. You've got to have shelter. You've got to have food. You've got to have work. And when those things are all there and they're, and they're dependable and they're sustainable, you've got the framework, the basis for true peace. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. Um, the frame of the peace bike is comfort knowing that you have enough. Enough of the basic things in life. Work, shelter, food, family. And this isn't something that is inaccessible unless you're really wealthy. Right? You don't have to be rich to do this. Any, anybody really who's, who's diligent and is given a, a fair bit of grace uh, can, can achieve this, can have this. And it's, it forms the basis. If you, if you work hard and you're diligent and and God blesses you, you can have this. It doesn't have to be like, you know, a huge mansion and 25 cars, but enough to know that every day your basic needs are met and it's always going to be there for you. If you have that, you have the start, the basis, the framework for peace. Well, Scripture doesn't just leave it there. Um, Scripture actually kind of builds out on this. And so if you think about the bike, we've got the frame of my Diamondback Mongoose. Um, there's, there's actually some things that, that need to go onto that frame to complete the picture of peace. And so I want to draw your attention to the second passage we're going to look at today. And this is in Leviticus 7. And Leviticus 7, it's on the back of your note sheets if you want to look at it. Leviticus 7 tells the instructions for uh, the sacrifice of peace. Um, there's a whole bunch of different sacrifices in Israel. Um, but one of them is the well-being sacrifice, the peace sacrifice. And this is what you do when you have a life that's characterized by peace. So let's just read it. And I know it's weird, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll work through it. And, and, and I think we're going to see that this actually has some really important elements of what it is to be a, a peaceful person. Let's read uh, Leviticus 7, 11 to 16. I've given the common, common English Bible version uh, just because the New King James gets a little bit hard to follow um, in contemporary English. So... Um, that's, that's the only reason. It says, this is the instruction for the communal sacrifice of well-being. That's the peace offering that someone may offer to the Lord. If you were offering it for Thanksgiving, you must offer the following with the communal sacrifice of Thanksgiving. You need to bring also, in, in, along with your sacrifice, you need to bring uh, unleavened flatbread mixed with oil, unleavened thin loaves spread with oil, and flatbread of choice flour thoroughly mixed with oil. So a whole bunch of bread to go along with the animal that's going to be sacrificed. You must present this offering, plus the unleavened flatbread, with the communal thanksgiving sacrifice of well-being. 
From this, you will present one of each kind of offering as a gift to the Lord. It will belong to the priest who tosses the blood of the, of the peace offering, the well-being offering. And the flesh of your communal thanksgiving sacrifice of well-being must be eaten on the day you offer it. You can't save any of it until morning. But if your communal sacrifice of well-being is payment for a solemn promise, or if it's a spontaneous gift, it may be eaten on the day you offer it as your communal sacrifice. And whatever is left over can be eaten the next day. So I, I like the Bible because it's really practical. You know, a lot of easy to access advice, stuff that you can just go home and, you know, take with you. Uh, yeah, so if you're thinking about doing uh, your communal well-being sacrifice, this is how you do it. Very important. Don't want to mess with it. It's interesting. It's interesting. This is the, um, it, the shalom offering. Literally, the word for Hebrew, shalom, is, is what's being used here. And it's, it's characterizing three different types of, of reasons why you might want to just come up to God and give him an animal right? Uh, Because you're experiencing, you are a person of peace. You're living out well-being or peace in your life. And if you notice when we're reading, there's three different uh, reasons you might do this. If you're offering it for Thanksgiving, that's in verse 12, Thanksgiving. Um, And then if you drop down to verse 16, if your sacrifice is payment for a vow or a solemn promise, or it's a spontaneous gift, also known as a free will offering or voluntary offering, um, there's different rules. There's three different reasons why you might go and offer to God a sacrifice because of the well-being or, or, or shalom in your life. Now, the first one's really obvious, Thanksgiving. Uh, this is because, you know, you're looking at, typically, you know, the end of the, the harvest comes, and you've got lots and lots of cows or whatever, and you're really grateful, and so you want to say, God, I'm, I'm grateful, thank you. And so you offer a Thanksgiving offering. I just want to pause there for a second because we actually live in a culture um, that would never do this. You see, in our culture, we assume that the good things that happen to us are the result of our hard work and only our hard work. It's the the result of us being responsible. It's the result of us being diligent. It's the result of us really trying um, it's the result of our natural God-given talents and, and, and amazing skills. That's why we get what we get in our culture. The scientists tell us, and I'm not sure if they're right or not, but they basically tell us that it's infinitesimally, I mean, it's so, so crazy impossible for you know, life to even exist uh, in this universe. That's an insane miracle that we're all living here today. That's what the scientists say. And they come up with, you know, speculations. There's billions and billions of universes, and every one of them has different properties, and we just so happen to live in one that can support life. They say this stuff. I mean, who knows? It's in the New York Times, so I don't know what to say about that. But that's what they say, right? And so at the end of the day, they come and they say, here's what science says. It's a fantastically, fantastically improbable that anything's here, in your, that you're even breathing or able to think or anything like that, but yet here you are. And with that information, you're supposed to go out and be like, okay, cool, I guess I'm really, 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 really lucky. And so I guess I should really just live it up because I'm so lucky. And even if you don't pay attention to the scientists, and even if you think about your own life, you're going to recognize when you look back at it that there are so many times where you met this person, or you had this occurrence, or this circumstance, uh, you know, took to, uh, came, came to pass, and as a result of all of those things, you are where you are. And any one of them could have gone differently. And there are, again, two responses to this. The one is, wow, I'm like, I've won the lottery of lotteries to be here right now, today. And the other one is to say that God has shaped my present. 
it wasn't just fortune or luck. It was, in fact, something that God was doing behind the scenes that I couldn't see that, that made it possible for this to obtain today, right now. And if you take that second tack, then your response, your natural response, is thanksgiving. Because you didn't have to be here today. There was a really good chance that you wouldn't have made it to today. This, uh, to be brutally honest, was something that had crossed my mind uh, last week when I was, you know, having symptoms that I had never had before. Um, and I really was in the hospital thinking, wow, it's not all given, is it? Today may very well not be having a tomorrow for me. And in that, we have a moment to say, God, you have paved it so that I could be here now. And I want to thank you and bless you for it. You deserve it because this is a gracious giving that you've given to me. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't have it. But you provided it. And I want to thank you for it because you deserve it. You're big enough. You're good enough. You're majestic and glorious enough. You deserve to be thanked and glorified and praised and acknowledged for the fact that I am here now. And I didn't have to be. That I have been blessed in these ways. And I didn't have to be. That I have these things that I have. And I didn't have to have them. That all of it comes ultimately from you and your provision. No matter how hard I've worked and how diligent I've been. Ultimately, you, God, are the one who gave it. And I want to bless you. So in ancient Israel, they um, would give, uh, for this offering, typically it would have been either a sheep, a goat, or a cow, or a bull. Apparently, um, those are actually really expensive things, right? Uh, A bull in today's economy would be worth probably the same as like a new car. And I passed a car lot, and those were really expensive, like $25,000 for like the small ones. So this is a big deal. That's a bull, you know, real expensive, right? Now, if you get down to like the, the, the lamb, that's more like, um, you know, your new 4K 65-inch uh, TV that I'm thinking about going into debt to buy to put in the new parsonage. That right there, that's more like the, that's more like the sheep or the lamb. I'm not sure what the goat is in the middle, but whatever is in between, um, you know, awesome TV and new car, because uh, those are really the only things I care about, so I don't know what anything else costs. Uh, but there's presumably something that's like in the middle. That'd be like a goat. No- notice that um, every single one of those things is kind of costly, kind of expensive, you know, to go and, and, and to, to offer that up to God. Um, it, that's not something that you just, oh, I'm just, well, okay. Some folks are like, ah, I'm just going to get rid of my TV and get a new one. But for most of us, most of us, that's kind of a, it's kind of a little bit of a sacrifice, right? Like literally a, a sacrifice. I have a friend and he, he says, isn't it weird how um, we come to Christian worship these days and uh, it doesn't have to cost us anything. It's free. That's a good thing. I don't. I, I think this is intentional from God. I, I think that He is giving worship and praise um, as a gift to us, and, and it's it's free, freely given. Um, but it wasn't free for the Israelites. It cost them something to acknowledge God's goodness and His graciousness. It cost them a lot. 
And I think one of the things that we can say here is when we look at um, this practice of, 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 of a peace or well-being offering, is it's, it's saying, God, I want to praise you, and I want to, to, to do something right for you, to bless you, and I want it to cost something. I want it to hurt a little bit, because you deserve it. Um, those other two offerings, uh, so there's, that's the Thanksgiving offering. There, there's also the, um, the fulfillment of a vow. So like you, this is when you're in the foxhole and you're like, God, if you get me out of this thing, I promise I'll never swear again. And then you make it out and you're like, uh, 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 you're supposed to fulfill that vow. Same deal, same deal, only it's more, like, um, it's more like, God, if you give us a great harvest, then I promise you this much and I'll give it to you. And that's sort of a fulfillment of a vow. So God blesses you, right? And you acknowledge him with this sacrifice. Uh, the other one is a free will or voluntary offering. And that's when you just wake up one day and you're like, man, life is awesome. God, I'm going to send one up your way because you deserve it. You're great. It's sort of just a, a spontaneous expression of peace and well-being and, thanks, and thanksgiving. But in each one of these, we notice that the peaceful person who engages in them, well, that, that peaceful person has done something that's costly. And I think uh, this is sort of the, the handlebars of our bike, right? The frame, you know, you got to have the basics, you know, your shelter, your food, uh, your family, your work. This is sort of the handlebars. Handlebars direct the bike. Um, for me, you know, aiming away from trees. Uh, for some of you, like, straight down the hill. Um, but you, you got to aim at something. And, and the Bible picture is a peaceful person as aimed at God thankful, and humbly submitted to the one who makes it all possible. And, and without that, that direction, without that direction, you can't be a peaceful person. You won't have the kind of settledness. You won't have the kind of, of enjoyment, of fullness of life um, as, as someone who does. It, 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 you're built for it. You're built to be aimed at God. And so when you keep going this way and that way, you're, you're, you're off track, and you'll never get where you're, you're supposed to be. God created you for peace. He created you to praise him and to do it in such a way that's costly and generous. That's the second thing in your note sheets. It's the handlebars of the peace bike is costly, generous praise of God. Costly, generous praise of God. I had a little grammatical issue there. Because handlebars appears to be, to be plural, and then I use a singular verb. Does that not bother anyone else? Because it's really bothering me. Should it be an R? I mean, the handlebars of the peace bike are costly, gen- praises of God. Yeah, I had a, like an existential crisis this morning. It was a rough go of it. Well, but but it's, here's my question. I don't want to get in a fight about this, maybe a little bit, but, um, but I want to know whether or not handlebars is singular. Because it might be because like one thing, right? I mean, one, whatever, it doesn't matter, right? You, you adjust on your note sheet how you like it to get the grammar right. The handlebars of the peace bike are costly, generous praises of God. I don't know, something like that. But it's true. That's, that's the peaceful person. The peaceful person has that orientation. There's a last um, bit of a bike, though, and it's the best part of the bike. No one cares that much about the frame, except when you buy it because it's shiny. No one cares that much about the handlebars, uh, just as so long as they get you in the right kind of place you want to go. But what people really care about are the wheels. That's fun, because the wheels are what make it go fast. And for me, when I'm thinking back to going down to Fezziwigs, hidden down Alicia, and just wind in my hair, you know, Scott and Jeff paving the way, and like just knowing not a care in the world, man, the wheels, that's the sweet spot. 
Look at, did you notice uh, in this text, you notice, uh, if you just look back, um, how, how you're eating it, right? right? You gotta, you're supposed to eat the sacrifice. Um, verse 15, the flesh of your communal thanksgiving sacrifice of well-being must be eaten on the day you offer it. You can't save any of it until morning. Okay, now I know Dustin can eat a lot. My man Dustin can put him away. I've seen this guy do like 52 slices of bacon, all with maple syrup. Yeah, I'm the one in the hospital. Unbelievable. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay, but even Dustin, right, if he sits down and he's like, I'm going to take on this whole sheep, right? He just shears that thing, you know, he guts it down, uh, and he just takes a whole big sheep. He's like, ah. Even Dustin's going to have a hard time with that, right? Now imagine he goes for the goat. Not a chance. Kind of gross too anyway. But then, the bull. Oh yeah. Apparently a bull is like 1,100 pounds on average. Who knew? You can get about 600 pounds of meat off of a bull. Can you just imagine? Dustin brings his bull to the priest. He's like, slaughter that thing. They got it on the spit and he's going, he's just licking his lips. You know, I'm going to go after the maple syrup right there, ready to go. And he's, he's going to do, not a chance. 600 pounds, not a chance. You know, you figure 40 pounds of meat from a sheep. Again, the goat, who knows, it's in the middle. 600 pounds uh, for the bull. That's a lot of meat. No one's doing this by themselves. You've got to, remember, you have to finish this by the end of the day. It literally says you can't leave any of it left over. It has to be eaten by the end of the day. So what are you going to need? Well, your kids, you know, a spouse. So that's four of you, five of you, depending, or I'm sorry, 2.5. So that's, that's 4.5 of you. That's still not enough. So then you've got to invite, you know, maybe your cousins, right? Get them involved. Uh, grandparents, let's have them come too. I don't know, 600 pounds of meat one day. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we're going to need more. So let's invite the whole village, get the village involved, bring them. Oh, still not enough because we're going to feed about 1,200 people here. So all right, look, you know what? I don't like those guys over there, but what the heck? I'm a peaceful person. Come on in. So they come on too. You, it turns out it's like a destination vacation, this thing. I'm dead serious. This, I'm not making this up. This is what a, a, a well-being peace sacrifice in ancient Israel was like. It was like a destination vacation. You're sitting there. You're in Nazareth. You have your friends and your families. You get a whole village together. You bring along this bowl, and you're like, we're going to go down, and we're going to slaughter this thing, and we're going to have a monster barbecue with Jesus, well, with God, Yahweh God. That's what it was. You go, and you, the, the, the priest spatters the blood, um, we're told elsewhere in the Old Testament that, that God enjoys the aroma of the sacrifice. And then you and, you know, your thousand best friends are eating and celebrating together. Now, if you're doing one of the, that's the Thanksgiving offering. If it's the, um, if it's the, the fulfilling a vow or a, a voluntary offering, you get two days to do it. So maybe fewer friends, longer party, right? But that's really what's going on. It's a celebration. It's a costly one. It's, it's not one that you just do every week, but it, it, it is a celebration, and it's a celebration with people. The peaceful person, the person who's characterized by peace, is not just going it alone. It's not a solo affair. It's a church-wide, community-wide affair. And it's not just, I'm working hard and eating and I'm honoring you, God. It's fun. This is the fun part 
of being a person of peace. This is the wheels, right? And so on your, on your note sheets, the third thing, the wheels of the peace bike are generosity to and celebration with others. Generosity to and celebration with others. You're going and you're sharing this delicious big bowl with people that you care about, that you love, that maybe you barely even know, but you want them to be blessed. You're, you're showing them some care and some concern and bringing them along with you. And you're celebrating all together in the context of praising and, and, and worshiping the God who made it all possible. The peace bike. Frame, work, food, shelter, family. The handlebars. Costly, generous praise to God. And the wheels generous celebration with others. That right there is the vision that the Old Testament has of peace. That's it. There's a problem. This all costs money. This isn't, it's not free. This, this life that's, that's, that's shaped for us. It's, it's not a lot, okay? It's not, we're not saying that it's got to be exorbitant, extravagant, but it does cost money. And this brings us to the, the last and maybe most important point, and that is this. You cannot ride the peace bike if you can't afford the parts. You cannot ride the peace bike if you can't afford the parts. For some of us, um, we come here and uh, handlebars, wheels, good. Got them both. We, uh, we're, we're generous to God, um, generous to others, and celebrate frequently with others. But the frame's not there. There's anxiety about whether or not we're going to make it next week, whether or not the shelter's going to be there, the food's going to be there, the family seems like it might not make it. Those, those things aren't settled. And as a result, the peace bike doesn't ride. There's some of us who come and the frame is intact, but the handlebars are missing. And so you're riding down the hill and you have no idea where you're going. Instead of being humbly submitted to the one God through whom all has been made possible, you're kind of trying to direct your own bike and it's going nowhere fast. And as a result, your life is disjointed and it is out of whack. And there are some people here who have the frame and the handlebars, but they got no wheels they're like, the, what, is it the redneck truck? It's like in the front of the, is that not a thing where it's on cinder blocks? Wasn't there a joke about that? Je- Jeff Foxworthy? I guess not. Well, whatever. You can imagine, try, try riding a bike with no wheels. You're sitting there and you've, you've got your frame in place. You've got your work, your money, you're, you're making your payments, whatever. And you're, you're gracious and, and generous to God. But at the same time, you just kind of like, I don't like people. <laughs> I, I'm doing this myself. I got it. And you're missing out on the thickest and, not a word, funnest part of peace. And that is being generous and celebrating with other people. If you're missing the frame, if you come here today and you do not have the frame of your peace bike, you have to get it fixed. You've got to take it to the shop and you've got to get it working. So it's a diamond again. You've got to take care of it. Um, you can't have peace without it. If you, are, if you are financially insecure, you must do this. 
Um, we, Aaron and I just did the, the Financial Peace Small Group, the Dave Ramsey Small Group, uh, last, last quarter, and it was awesome. You know, we, we, we got a whole bunch of tools to, to set our house in order a little bit financially, and now we can move forward and, and really have like a feeling like, hey, it's going to be okay. We're, we're going to make it, um, and, and we're going to be able to plan for the future, and we're going to have some security there. Um, if, if that's something you need, we have this curriculum. Please be a part of a, a small group in February where we will we'll do this, and, and, and you'll learn. You'll get some accountability, a chance to get these things s- settled so that you can really have this life of peace that God has designed you for. If you don't have your handlebars in place and you are not you know, making some costly, generous gifts to God, do it. And no, I'm not saying you need to double your giving this year in 2017. But if you want to, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. Like, you know, twist my arm, right? Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be money either. It, it can be time. It can be uh, caring about, you know, something that, that you know blesses God, a, a gift that you can give him through service or talents or creativity. Whatever it is, though, it should cost you something. It should hurt a little bit. It should, yeah, you should have to work for it a little bit because God deserves it. And you'll find that when you reorient your life towards him, you put, aim your handlebars at him instead of at you, you're going to find that the peace that you're looking for starts to settle into place. Maybe you, you got your frame, your handlebars, but you don't have your wheels. I'm not saying that you have to host a small group um, here in, in February. Again, if you want to host a small group, you're feeling convicted, I need to celebrate with others, by all means, sell, host a small group. Invite people into your home. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. But you don't have to do that. That's not a requirement. What it does mean, though, is you have to be others-oriented, others-focused. Find ways to bless other people. We'll actually talk about this next week um, uh, in more detail. But find ways to, to bless people. Find ways to be generous to others. And find ways to celebrate and enjoy with them. Eat with them. Celebrate with them. Have fun with them. That is a critical component to your overall life of peace. And if you're missing out on it, Well, the worst part is you're missing out on one of the best things in life. Something we shouldn't even have to... I mean, who who needs an excuse to to spend time enjoying people that they love? And yet, we get so busy we don't. You might be wondering, um, you know, you had all these gurus, right? Like Rob Liano, certified life coach. You've got to... Love your own values, and if you do that, you'll have peace. Or, you know, if you find out how to be content, and then, and then you'll have peace. Or, um, you know, live in the tension and the unresolved questions, and then you'll have peace. I, I want to suggest that, that what every single one of those misses is that, like St. Augustine showed us, peace is something that's lived out with people. And as you do that, as you become deeper and more embedded into this community and you live out um, these financial types of of peace, I think what happens is in order to be that kind of person, you have to reorder what's inside here. This stuff gets sorted out because it, it takes a certain kind of discipline and a certain kind of care in order to live in these ways. And that you will actually start to, to do the things that certified life coach Rob Liano and Ralph Waldo Emerson and whoever, Rainer Maria Rilke, all recommend. Those will start to happen naturally as you try to live out the biblical vision of what it is to be a peaceful person. And yeah, it costs a little bit of money. Let's pray.
Gracious God and Father, I pray that um, we will be people of peace. That we will um, have enough of the basic needs. That we will be directed towards you with, with costly, generous um, praise. That we'll find time and resources to be generous to and celebrate with others. God, we confess that you're a God of peace, that you're a God of abundance, that you're a God of grace. I pray that you will pour out your grace um, on us to show us new and exciting and creative ways to become people of peace, that we'll be more like you um, as we follow you, and that in that, we will finally settle into the people you've called us to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name, whose grace makes it all possible. Amen.